0: Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. I'm here today with Zazie Todd, and we're going to be talking about curiosity. And I'm super excited to have Zazie on here because, as you probably know, she is the author of the Companion Animal Psychology blog, where she reads all the stuff that I don't want to read, synthesizes it, makes it digestible. Then writes it out in English, so it's completely understandable for people like me. So I love that. I love her curiosity and love of learning, and so I invited her to come on today and talk about curiosity. So welcome, Zazie. Thanks for coming. Thank you, and thanks very much for having me on the show. So I see that you have both a PhD and an MFA, so yes. clearly education is something that you
1: prize and value. I've been very lucky because in some ways I've been that eternal student kind of person. (laughs) Obviously not all of the time, but yes, my PhD is in psychology and that's from the University of Nottingham. And after that, for quite a while, I worked as an academic psychologist. And then when I came to Canada with my husband, I was very, very lucky and I got a place on the MFA Creative Writing in UBC. And so I did, that's something that I had always wanted to do and I'd not been able to do on top of working as a psychologist. So I took some time out to do that. And that was so much fun and so interesting. And I worked on a novel. So it wasn't science (laughs) or facts or anything like that. It was a chance to explore different kinds of writing. But the thing about writing is that whatever kind of writing you do, it helps the other kinds of writing you do. So it's still really, really helpful, which is very nice. And I do sometimes still write bits of fiction, but I don't really have the time. I'm too busy writing nonfiction, And so then I I feel very lucky that I've been able to combine the things that I love in this way and to write about science and animals and to use my writing background as well as my psychology background uh, in in working on that. So I think I'm just very lucky and I am always curious. So I think that's a a nice word for this show. I'm (laughs) always full of curiosity. (laughs) Which is wonderful.
0: So I'm curious about how you went from being a psychologist to being this amazing animal behavior person. Like what? What led you from point A to point B?
1: Well, uh, my psychology background is obviously people psychology. It's not animal psychology. But a very, very long time ago, when I was doing my PhD, I kind of was really interested in cats and the bond between people and cats. But there was no way I could have studied that in psychology at that time. I could probably have done something on head bobbing in pigeons and I was not interested in (laughs) pigeons at all. (laughs) So I think probably if I had done that my life would have been quite different but so it was people psychology but over the years from time to time I did supervise the occasional student who wanted to do a project on something to do with people and pets but it wasn't my main research field that was communication and how to communicate about risk in particular. Mm -hmm. So that was quite interesting. But I've always been an animal person. I should be more careful and say I was originally always a cat person. I was not a dog person at all. When I was a child, I was actually terrified of dogs. And it took me a long time to get over that and to learn that actually dogs can be our friends. So then of course I eventually became a dog person too and so it's just been really fun when I started my blog I didn't really know what it would turn into I just noticed that there was this really interesting science about dogs and cats but mainly it was about dogs and how people interact with them and I thought this would be really interesting to write about and so it's just all bloomed from there Um, it's been lucky that these are fields scientifically that are really growing there's a huge ton of research being done so there's lots for me to write about and people are really interested I think there are so many people who want to know more about dogs and cats so it's just been really lucky for me that this is this is all worked out and it feels like all the things I love have come together isn't it wonderful when that happens like all the pieces coming together
0: (laughs) other people are like I don't I don't see how that fits and you're like no this is it this is yeah
1: (laughs) it's a really nice feeling
0: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty wonderful. I was talking to someone the other day about coaching. She, she and I both do coaching and I said something about how it's really not that different from dog training in many ways. Mm-hmm. She was like, I do not see the link. I was like, really? <laughs> really? There's so much psychology that as humans, we think that we're very rational. But if we look at our behavior, so much of it is based in, you know, do we feel safe? Do we feel open to learning? Do we feel like this environment is setting us up for success or not? Uh, Can we break things down into baby steps? It's all dog training. It's all dog training. (laughs) Um, So yes, we are smarter. And yes, the linguistic linguistic abilities that we have uh, provide us some more abstract thought. But in the end, I see so much overlap in huge areas between human psychology and doing any sort of behavior work with animals. And just sort of recognizing what what makes us comfortable, what makes us tick, and what makes us thrive.
1: I think that's right. There's a huge amount of overlap. And I think one of the interesting things though is not is that the kind of what we perceive as the difference between people and other animals has got smaller. Uh, obviously, it hasn't actually changed. It's our perceptions of it that have changed as we've learned just how intelligent and emotional other animals can be. And so I think that's really fascinating. And that it's one of the things that makes a big difference to how we think about animals uh, that aren't people, non-human animals, because all of a sudden we're recognizing that there's so much more going on there than we used to realize. So that's really interesting too. But absolutely, teaching people how to train a dog or how to deal with a dog's behavior problems, there's so much psychology there. Mm-hmm. One of the things that fascinates me at the moment is that people are beginning to do some research into that aspect of, of dog training, what influences what people do, this is something I, I wrote a paper about for the Journal of Veterinary Behavior last year because I found it really fascinating. but there was a recent study that I wrote about on my blog where someone a team from the University of Bristol looked at how people decide how to train their reactive dogs when they have a reactive dog, and that 's really fascinating because it shows how important the role of emotion is in what people decide to do because. Anyone who has had a reactive dog knows that that can be really, really difficult sometimes and really, really embarrassing perhaps Mm -hmm. when you're out in public and your dog is in quotes acting up because they don't feel safe and it's just really interesting to see the impact that that has on how people decide to train their dogs. So one of the things from this piece of research is that people are more likely to use positive reinforcement if they feel confident in their abilities to do so. And all those negative emotions that people can have when they're out and about with a reactive dog and everything just gets too much, they take away their confidence and so they make them less likely to want to try positive reinforcement in future and I think that shows just how important it is for dog trainers to be good at the people side of things and good at talking to people and good at coaching and teaching people and gradually making things harder in exactly the same ways that they would think about it for the dog but also to think about that for the person as well to make it easy for them to begin with and then provide that kind of scaffolding for them to build on. Yes. And I think
0: it's really helpful for for all pet professionals to understand the whole idea of that positive emotions broaden and build and help us become more creative and see other solutions, which is exactly what you just said there. And that negative emotions narrow and focus our attention and make us less open to new ideas and exploring things. So tying that to to curiosity, when we are upset, For In in any area, if we're anxious or depressed or frustrated by our dog's behavior or just in general feeling lousy, we're going to be less curious. And because we're less curious, we're going to see fewer options. Have you seen that?
1: Yes, I think so. If we don't feel safe, as you say, if we feel stressed and anxious, then we're not so curious because we have to concentrate on trying to cope with the situation that we're in or trying to help ourselves feel better. And when we're more relaxed and we're happier, then we, we have the option as it were, to be more curious. And when we have the time too, because we don't always have the time, sometimes it feels like we're just rushing from one thing to another thing and that in itself makes us feel stressed and then we're not so curious. But when we have the time to be a bit more relaxed and to get on with things, sometimes those times when we're actually doing nothing turn out to be the times when we're most curious and we learn something or we have some kind of insight or we develop something, some new ideas that we want to follow up and we have nice nice ideas then. And I think that's why... Downtime can be so important for building curiosity.
0: Yes, that actually just reminds me of a quote I found when I was prepping for our call. With Dorothy Parker, the humorist, wrote, "The cure for boredom is curiosity, and there is no cure, no cure for curiosity." And I thought that was really true. Like when you're bored, and then you find something that sparks your interest, you can go anywhere. You, there's so many offshoots from that, and that curiosity builds upon itself.
1: That's so true that that really is I love that actually thank you for sharing that with me yeah and another thing that relates to curiosity building it from itself is from a book called The Artist's Way which has been very influential for so many writers and it's this idea of taking artist dates and that you set aside some time to go and do something that will spark your curiosity and your imagination whether it's going to an art gallery or just going to the beach or whatever but The idea that you set aside time to do this regularly and it it helps to spark your curiosity and your imagination and and give you ideas. And I think especially if you're stuck on something, it can give you a way of getting out of that and thinking of a a different way of looking at things. And I find that really, really a helpful idea.
0: Yes, and for the people I've worked with who've used that book, and I will link to it in the show notes, um, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, the idea of the artist's date being something that you commit to then gave them sort of permission to lean into it. So it didn't feel quite so self-indulgent to take an afternoon to go explore a museum or go for a walk along the lake. It was it was work. It was something they needed to do. But to to honor that commitment to finding the time and the space to allow your thoughts to wander and to allow new ideas to come is incredibly helpful and healthy so having however you can make that work for you the better you know so I did love that in the artist way these artist dates she's she doesn't waffle about it she's like no you schedule it and you don't break those dates you know <laughs> so valuable so have you had any sort of interesting thoughts or discoveries on any of your artist dates any memorable artist dates for you
1: Probably not any specific things. Actually, what I like most of all is being outside where it's quite natural, like in in the forest or something like that. I just I like I like peace and quiet. And I'm very lucky because I live in quite a rural area. So we have a lot of peace and quiet. There's a lot of wildlife. And that really helps. I'm so not a city person anymore. I used to be, I used to live in cities and I, I do love all the things that you get in cities and the, you know, the museums you can go to and all the different cafes and so on. But it turns out what I really like most of all is just peace and quiet. I don't know if that sounds boring and I'm getting old or whatever, but I really <laughs> like the peace and quiet <laughs> and just being in the green spaces. And I think that's what helps my mind to wander. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe one of the things that comes to me most is one time we went to the Nittabee Garden, which is a Japanese garden at the University of British Columbia. And this was actually years ago, long before I'd moved to Canada. So we were just here as a tourist. But there's an image from that that I I always remember looking up at, at the blue sky. It's a really beautiful garden, lots of moss, very, very green, very quiet space in the middle of the university campus and it was a really hot summer's day and I looked up at the sky completely clear blue sky apart from one tiny tiny little cloud that just went scudding across and that image has somehow kind of stuck with me that even like like the blue sky might have been perfect but somehow it was actually the little cloud going across that made it kind of perfect and brought home just how perfect it was and so yeah I think I think just being in nice green spaces it, it can bring you all kinds of ideas and it helps you to feel better. Yes.
0: Yeah, it really does. And there's, there's such a connection for our brains and our bodies and having that time outside time in nature and just time off time unscheduled that can create these curiosity spirals for us. So what do you think are some of the benefits of being curious?
1: It means you're always learning. And I that's just fun in itself. I think just being curious in itself is, it's just fun. So it is good for you because it's good for you to do things that are fun. But you learn new things about the world. Um, when you're curious about dogs and dog science, you learn new things about how to care for dogs or how to make your dog happier, which is obviously very helpful for your relationship with your dog. But I think you take more care of yourself if you 're curious because you 're doing things that interest you and you 're following ideas that interest you and that 's good for you in itself,
0: mm-hmm. so I
1: think that 's good good for your mental health as well, just to be doing that and then sometimes you can come up with ideas that are, are good for the world in general, perhaps which you may not be able to achieve, but they 're good ideas to have out there <laughs> yes. so I think just if, if everyone is is curious, I think that that 's really helpful we, we can come up with so many ideas and I, ways to fix problems, even if we don't succeed in always carrying them through to actually fix the problem, because that's another problem in itself. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, having anything that we can move forward on, and even if we can't get, you know, all the way to the end goal, if we can take some implementation steps, that helps us. So even even if we don't, you know, what is the the shoot for the shoot for the stars and you'll wind up at the moon. I think people actually say at the reverse, but you know, like you might not get as far as you want to get. You're going to get so much farther than you dreamed. If you say, Oh, here's this awesome idea. I can't achieve it all on my own, but if I dive in and, and get going, what might happen? So, yeah, I do think that that is a benefit for, for society on a big level, but also for personal relationships, just this connection of, of, you know, exploring what is possible for us in this moment. What, um, what can I learn about you? What can you learn about me? How can we understand each other better? Um, and all sorts of ideas come from that when we when we allow ourselves to lean into it, to lean into curiosity a little bit.
1: Yes, I, th- I think so. And in a way, really, it's kind of curiosity that got me to where I am and what I'm doing now. And I couldn't be happier, but I I could never have sat down and thought, oh, if I do this and do this and do that, then I will end up being able to do that. It, it didn't happen that way. Um, you know, it was yeah. kind of random accidents. And if I follow this path, well, we'll see what happens. And oh, well, we'll go to Canada and I'll see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's, it's just worked out very well. So I think curiosity brings us opportunities opportunities in life and opportunities in getting to know people better or finding the kinds of people that we want to hang out with and that we can learn from as well. So it's good to have those opportunities, I think. Yes, I I agree. They They definitely
0: lead to unexpected places. When I think about the people I know who are just really thriving and happy and contented in their insides, most of them have that kind of backstory, that there are unusual pieces, this led to that, led to the other thing, but there was just no way in advance they could have plotted that out. Which is not to say that there aren't people happy and thriving who, you know, woke up at eight years old and said, I want to be a doctor, and now they're doctors and they love it. I'm sure there are people like that. But when I think of the ones I know who really just embody it, I think the curiosity has led them down different paths. And they leaned into something that sparked their interest somewhere along the way. And that led to something else, which led to something else. And in all of that exploration, they learn a lot about whatever topic it is that sparked their curiosity. But they also learn so much about themselves. What have you learned about yourself by being such a curious person?
1: I think I've learned that I don't give up easily. (laughs) For one thing, I just keep on trying. If there's something that I see that I want to do, I'll keep trying to find different ways of doing it if I need to. I think it's funny because in many ways, I think I still am the same person that I used to be when I was younger. But actually, one of the big things for me was, I mentioned being afraid of dogs. I was actually terrified of dogs. So one of the things that I learned about myself was how not to be afraid of dogs and that actually I love dogs. Dogs are wonderful. I don't know now why I was afraid but I I had such bad experiences when I was a child. I wasn't actually bitten but there was a a dog that I had to pass every day on the way to school that would come rushing and growling at the gate and I was terrified of it and there were various people I knew who had big dogs that I was terrified of and they would come running up barking and I would ha- have to stand absolutely still because I, In some cases, they would have bitten me if I had moved. So I was good at being a tree. I knew what to do, but I was still terrified. And so I think for me, in in a way, getting used to dogs is one of the biggest ways in which I've changed, learning that I could actually like dogs. And it was by accident because... I liked going running. Uh, When I lived in Nottingham where I did my PhD, there was a deer park and it was a lovely place to go running, but it was full of people walking their dogs. And I was terrified of the dogs, but I wanted to go running in that park more than I was terrified of the dogs. And I kind of gradually learned that, A, it was a deer park. So the dogs had to be under control. They were off leash, but they had to be under control. Otherwise, you know, they couldn't run around attacking the deer. So they were well-behaved dogs. But also if I ignored them, then they wouldn't pay any attention to me. It was if I looked at them that they would come running up to say hello, which (laughs) I really did not want. (laughs) So that's what helped me get used to dogs. And for me, that was such a huge thing in life. And then to eventually be able to get a dog, um, I wasn't able to get a dog for a long time because I was working long hours and it just wasn't appropriate. It wouldn't have been a nice life for a dog. And then to finally be able to get one was was really nice and, and really felt very special. So I think that's probably one of the ways in which I've changed the most because I used to be so scared and I really sympathize with people who are scared of dogs and I kind of wish everybody could learn that they don't need to be. But yeah, but it's, it's a completely reasonable fear. Sometimes dogs can hurt us, you know, anything can hurt us. But for me, that was such a big deal.
0: Well, and there's also the fear of unpredictability and that if we if we have no idea what will happen, we're more afraid. And so, Having a little bit of education around what's likely to happen. What is a dog likely to do? What is this behavior telling us can increase our comfort zone? That's true of anything like Mm. We're afraid of it's often the unknown pieces It's not that we completely understand what's out there We're like there's something out there and it's scary and I don't know (laughs) And so having a little curiosity and leaning into it and going well, what what is it that i'm afraid of and how does that play out? And what can I do to understand it better can mm-hmm. help to minimize the fear and empower us a little bit to move forward. I think it's interesting that you were able to do that basically so experientially. You were just like, I want to run through this park and there are uh, loose, wild creatures here and I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'm phenomenally impressed that that was a successful strategy for you because I would think one <laughs> – Labradoodle that ran over and went well. Zazie. Could be enough to set you back.
1: <laughs> that kind of did happen a few times, but I was I was determined because it it was a lovely park. It it had this big herd of deer. It had a, a big old house in the middle of it that was quite the house itself was a museum but it was quite pretty to look at from the outside there was a a a lake it was it was a really good place to go for a run so I was really determined that I wasn't gonna let fear of of dogs stop me but the thing is I think I wouldn't have been so curious about dogs if I hadn't been so afraid of them to begin with because Mm -hmm. I mean I didn't really know very much so I, I had a lot to learn whereas I think for most people they feel quite familiar with dogs and so they maybe don't realize just how much there is to learn about dogs we think Everybody thinks they know dogs. Yes. Um, And so maybe they're not so not going looking for kinds of information that might help them. And so a bit of curiosity about the things that are every day is actually a good thing to help us see things that we hadn't seen before. Yes.
0: Yeah. There seems to be a little a line there where if there's something you don't know anything about, you typically have almost no curiosity about it. Like, you know, how the electrical system of a high school works. I know nothing about that. And right now I have no desire to go look that up and learn anything about it. However, if you brought the electrical, I don't know, janitor, I don't know who would be in charge of the electricity in the high school, the electrical engineer in charge of the high school into my house and brought him here, I'd be fascinated to talk to that person and learn a little bit about it. But From like the big concepts that we know, not very much about, we're like, yeah, that exists, not that interested. But if you learn two interesting facts about that, if they say, did you know, you know, two interesting facts, then your brain goes, well, that's fascinating. And that's kind of like, and you make attachments. But then there are other things that are just so familiar that we don't think about them at all. Like books, books are everywhere. I learned a lot about publishing books when we were publishing books that I had never, ever considered before, like binding and how, how they're glued together and what materials you'd use for covers. And, and I was like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot there. And same thing with dogs and some of these things that are just a part of our daily life, but we don't think about the bigger, deeper stories of them until for whatever
1: reason, we're forced to, to learn a bit more. And then it's fascinating it's just like yeah helpful. and I've been having the same experience with books because I've been working on a book that's coming out next year and I guess I always knew somehow that a book must be a lot of work but I did not understand the whole process the editing process the different stages of editing all the different things that go into book I, I I had no idea how how complicated that all is. And, and I guess I probably wouldn't have been that interested before. But now that I've been working on it, there's been such a lot for me to learn there. And I've been lucky because I have an editor who does not mind if I ask stupid questions, <laughs> really rocky questions. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is probably really obvious. But and she just explains it to me, which is, is really helpful because some of it has been surprising really in a way and then some of it there's there's language and terminology and jargon around it which I had no idea about it's like do you want to do your end notes this way or that way and I'm like well I don't know which either of those is <laughs> you know that kind of thing so there's been a lot to learn there and it's been very eye-opening and interesting and um, if I do another book it will be a different kind of experience because I'll go in with a whole lot more knowledge right. like which you've probably found yourself once you know It's kind of a different way of thinking about a book again, really.
0: Yeah. Every, every bit you learn adds on. So tell us a little bit about your book. It's coming out in February, right? Is that, is that right? Yes,
1: it should be out at the end of February next year. And it's called WAG, the science of making your dog happy. And so it's about the science of making your dog happy. There's a lot of science in there, but it's also full of practical tips that people can use in everyday life. And I spoke to a lot of different people. So I spoke to dog trainers and vets and veterinary behaviorists and scientists. And for the scientists, I had to say, well, well, this is really interesting research, but what does it mean from the dog's point of view um, <laughs> uh, to put that information in there? So it helps people to understand their dog, what we know about dogs, how we, how we know that. So the science behind it, and then the things that we can do to help make our dogs happy. So yeah, it's very exciting. That'll be out in February. It's
0: very exciting. Well, this podcast episode will come out before February, but we'll update it when the book comes out with with more information about how people can find that at that time. So one of the things that you said in there was that it also includes sort of practical tips and strategies. What are some of the ideas you would have for a person who feels like, I'm just really not curious about anything. I'm just kind of stuck in a rut. I don't even care. So what would you say would be some (laughs) curiosity sparks in addition to the artist state?
1: I I think everybody does care about something. So if people think they don't really care, I I would be concerned that actually there is something that is bothering them that they they maybe need to find a way to deal with. So that would be something to think about. Uh, what can they do? Uh, just to tr- just to try different things as well. Think of something that they've never tried before and go go and do that if they feel up to it. So if you've never tried skiing, go and try skiing. Or if you've never been into boating or whatever it it doesn't have to be like an inside thing it could be creative like drawing or it could be an active thing any kind of thing that you're not used to doing just go and try it and see and you might hate it and if you hate it you don't have to do it again <laughs> <laughs> at least you'll have tried it and you can go and try something else instead and until so you do find something that you like because there are so many different things that we can do and If I think uh, we don't always have the opportunities as kids, we don't necessarily have the opportunities to try all these different things. So I was very lucky and I had music lessons as a kid. I played the flute, but not everyone gets that chance. But as an adult, you can still learn to play the piano or something like that. So just try different things, even if you hadn't thought of them before. And like I said, if you don't like it, don't do it again, but but try something else. And you'll also meet lots of new people and make new friends and that'll give you other ideas too. Right. That helps.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That is wonderful advice. So, thank you so much for talking with me about curiosity today. If people wanted to learn more about you and your work, where could they do that?
1: Uh, they can go to my website, companionanimalpsychology.com, which is my blog. And I have a newsletter every month as well. So, you can find everything I write or links to everything I write on there.
0: <laughs> works out so beautifully. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unleashed at Work at Home today, Zazie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. It's been really fun. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. Are you looking for ways to feel better fast and make it last? Do you want more actionable ideas and strategies? Would you like to connect with other amazing pet professionals who care about helping animals and creating healthy, fun work cultures? If so, you are going to love the Unleashed Resilience community. Visit ColleenPilar.com slash community for more information. I can't wait to see you there.